Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that poses the question, we all have mental health, how's yours? I'm your host and licensed marriage and family therapist, Justin Lewis. This episode is the first in a series called Cross-Cultural Conversations, and this series is being co-produced with Jenny Linville, who is a licensed professional counselor here at Compass, a former guest of this show, and she also is a person of color. The idea is to have a monthly episode spread throughout the weekly episodes in order to give this series some extra length. Part of our mental health is our awareness of how we function in the world, our ability to connect with people who are different than us, and to be able to navigate through conflict. And all of these things will be covered in our series that will feature not only black voices, but also white people's experience. Jenny is the guest today to give her multiple perspectives on this topic and to preview the series, a series that has some partners, including this one. Mapping Healthy Minds is sponsored by Paducah Bank, and Paducah Bank is an award-winning, locally-owned bank with branches in six locations in Paducah and Louisville. Paducah Bank received a five-star rating from Buyer Financial, which is the nation's premier banking rating firm. In June, Paducah Bank was notified that it had earned the highest rating that Buyer Financial awards. The bank has earned this five-star rating for 44 consecutive quarters and is one of America's strongest banks. If you would like to be wowed from Paducah's premier banking institution, give them a call at 270-575-5700. All right, well, here is my interview with Jenny. Oh yeah, there is uh, one part where I say inherent, and I meant to say implicit, so just keep that in mind. Hey. Hi. I think we are a safe six feet apart. What say you? Oh, at least eight, yeah. Or seven, yeah. No question. With two desks in in front of us, I have my desk, and you have my uh, TV tray. Yes. As you mentioned when you walked in, since our last interview, Mm -hmm. I've gotten a a bigger budget, (laughs) and now I have a a TV tray to set the microphone on so we don't have to stack a bunch of books up on my uh, end table. So. Do you do you feel like this is more of a uh, legitimate recording studio now? I do, I do. I think you even made sure I had water. So, uh, you know, <laughs> only the best here. Welcome Thank to the you. show, Jenny Linville. Thank you. It's good to be back. I'm so glad you're here. Really, I'm here because of you, though. Hmm. I don't know if you're the guests for need being to. Here. I don't know if the guests need to know this or not. Hmm. Yeah. But we happened to cross paths when I was talking to your husband mm-hmm. at a local establishment. And you let me know about a job opening here. And you guys were desperately looking for a male therapist, didn't know any other male therapists in town, asked yeah. me if I would be interested. And then uh, the rest is history. So, yeah. Glad you're here. <laughs> I'm glad I'm here too. So, we're going to record a podcast today about a subject that is important all the time but timely currently. Is that a fair way to say that? I think that's a very accurate way to say that. Okay. We're going to start this um, sort of series about race relations. Yeah, race in America. Race in America. And we're going to start this episode as an introduction 
And on a monthly basis, we hope to have one episode uh, mm-hmm. with a person, um, sometimes a person of color and sometimes mm-hmm. a person without color. <laughs> Is that, what, is that is that I, what I would I, do? I saw you push pause. You're like, nope. <laughs> you could say people from diverse backgrounds. Diverse backgrounds. People that look different than me and the same as me also. You look like your teacher. It's never um, come to my attention to this very moment that mm-hmm. I don't have a color. I was peach. I was a peach crayon back in the day. Right, right, right. Anyways, You're moving on from tan, that topic, like I'm more. I'm kind of a olive, a oh, little bit. That's my. Sometimes color. I have a Middle Eastern look to me. Same. I'm essentially. Bit. What's her face from The Office? Rashida Jones's character. I love yeah. that description of her, uh, like racially ambiguous. Yep. And she's that in both The Office and Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, but more sure. so in Parks and Rec because. It's. Explicitly brought out in Parks and Rec that it's like, what What is she after all? Whenever Michael meets her, though, and he's like, it's your dad a G.I. (laughs) You're exotic looking. Do you know that that someone has literally not said was your dad a G.I., but has I have been often told you're really exotic looking. Where are you from? And I'm like, Southern Illinois, like the (laughs) least. And they're like, but where are your parents from? And I'm like, Southern Illinois. (laughs) I'm like literally from the least exotic. What do you think they're expecting? I don't know. One like, person, and so it's not like Kenya or something, or like I, what? Are, what are they no expecting? Idea. I have no idea, but I will say it's not just white people. So, like, even a, a, I think he was he worked for either FedEx or UPS. He was a black guy, and he was like, "You're beautiful and exotic looking. Like, where are you from?" And I was like, "Illinois." Thank you for my book. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Western he, Kentucky now. That's where I'm from. Western Kentucky is where I have always been from. So I guess that's important to know as we're having this discussion. Right? Yeah. Is what our backgrounds are. Yeah. I have been uh, living in Western Kentucky all but three years of my life. The other three, or three and a half years, I lived in Memphis. It's a good city. So there is a greater diversity in that city. Very However, so. most of my time is spent here with the uh, kind of the cultural norms. And even when I was there, I was carrying those cultural norms with me sure Um, as we all do as we all do so that is my background of what my experience is um and maybe this is important for us to cover how it's valuable to be aware of your own perceptions and uh biases we'll get into that a little bit later as well absolutely and how bias and the way that we treat someone Mm -hmm. are not directly correlated but they could be if we don't pay attention. Yes. Okay. But uh, I wanted to talk about... Do you want me to give my background? Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. So I grew up in a small town in southern Illinois. Um, and like southern Illinois to the point where when people not from Illinois are like, oh, like Springfield. And it's like, no, like four hours south. I essentially grew up, not essentially, I did grow up about an hour north of western Kentucky. Paducah. So about 45 minutes up the highway. So pretty similar um, as far as um, like population um, demographics. Population size, my hometown was maybe 12,000. Wow. So I think Paducah is 
The city is about 30, and okay. then the county adds another 50 to 60, and it feels much bigger, bigger. because we're mm-hmm. like a hub for medical care and yeah. therapy services. Right. There it is. <laughs> and all shopping and eating and all that kind of stuff. So it has a much bigger feel for the people that are here on a it day-to-day does. basis because people from all over the western Kentucky region are coming to mm-hmm. Paducah's town. Air quotes are happening over here for a right. lot of people. And I always forget that Kentucky, like a little bit of background of Kentucky, if you're from Kentucky, you're not just from a city, you're also from a county. Unless you live in one of the more recognizable cities. Cities, And then if you're from anywhere in the county, you're from that city. Absolutely. Where I'm from, I don't think I knew what county I lived in until I was in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Even though my city was small, we were very city focused. And then you just kind of pay taxes to the county. So, (laughs) um, but... In my small area, I think I was I was one of two biracial students in my graduating high school class, and there may have been four or five graduating people of color in my class of about 126. Um, and then also kind of giving a little bit more background. And then I, I moved away to St. Louis, so I lived in a bigger city, much more diverse. Um, and then moved to Nashville, again, a city that's very diverse. And now I'm here in Western Kentucky, and I've been here about four years. Nashville's still pretty Southern in its feel, though, right? It's like bougie Southern. So it's not like, (laughs) it's like rich Southern, but not as exclusive. It's a very inclusive, wealthy Southern. And I quote that. Trademark. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. (laughs) So the purpose uh, of this series, Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you answer that question because we're working on this together. This should be known as well. You're like a co-producer of this. Generally, I'm basically producer, host, editor. All of it. (laughs) Writer. I'm just not doing anything. Pretty much anything. But in this (laughs) series, you're getting a co-producer credit and everything. So tell me, co-producer, what the purpose of this. As long as I'm not like needing to edit, then I'm good with that credit. (laughs) We do not want me editing. I'll be be taking that editing (laughs) credit. Don't worry. So I think the point of and the purpose of uh, this series, I guess it's a a mini, like a subset series of our series of uh, Mapping Healthy Minds. And the purpose was we were, as colleagues, we were just talking and um, I had started sharing just kind of some things that I've been doing and like just kind of these burning questions and conversations and you always seemed really interested and you were just very like instantly like, I'm in. And so then we started kind of, you were like, I think we need to do something. I'm just trying to figure out what that is. And as these conversations kept going, it kind of obviously you do podcasts great and so just that felt natural Mm -hmm. um and so i think the purpose that we kind of found was we want to help to engage with people and to help promote healthy change and growth and i think that's possibly because of our background in mental health Mm. we're constantly looking for okay what can we improve on right um because we understand that race is going to play into any person's mental health not just the race that they are but the way that our country and um society deals and handles race yes i like all of that that is a very good description of how this came to pass and um 
also the the desire to normalize people being able to talk about this i think is valuable yeah Yeah. i think we'll probably get to that but we we've talked about um in conversations we've talked about how if you're my ally i'm also your ally Mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that we can have these conversations and maybe even lead as an example to others of how to do these conversations well Mm -hmm. because a lot of times it can get really heated very emotive because it's personal yeah even though race is like a societal made-up thing it's Mm -hmm. not a biological thing um we all have a race and so when we start to talk about race it's immediately personal very true that was really good i just thought of that yeah (laughs) sorry (laughs) also you know again to tack on just a little bit more is something that I talked about with a educator that lives down the street from me. And I was like, you know, we kind of approach subjects based on our training. Mm -hmm. She's an educator. She is putting out lots of information for people to be educated. Yeah. Uh, I'm a therapist who focuses a lot on marriages, Mm -hmm. how to handle conflict within a marriage. My brain went to, how can this be done in that way? Yeah. You are a therapist that focuses a lot on grief yeah, <laughs> and loss and how to overcome that. And so I think your brain naturally comes from that point. How of do you. we walk through a difficult thing? With the fear of sounding uh, like I've cracked some sort of code, I think there's importance in us understanding like what yeah. like what we're using yeah, to approach subjects like that. Absolutely. Yeah, the lens, exactly. And uh, The hermeneutics, if you will. Nice little uh, seminarian uh, <laughs> seminarian reference. Okay, so getting down to into some of the questions that I had in mind for us to cover. Yeah. So is this moment, this moment of public consciousness that we're in, right? Is this different, or is this yet another time around, uh, and then? It'll fade here in a bit, and then mm. we'll go on and wait for another right. tragedy to happen, and then we'll kind of have another... Eruption. Right. Obviously, you're not a psychic, but what do you think? Does this feel different, or does this feel like right. another time in the... In my experience of all of the moments that have now um, piled up in my uh, frame of reference and just personal history, sure, is that this one feels different. And it's not that the event feels different. It's not that. um, I think what feels different, and I don't know if it's because of the people I have surrounded myself with, Mm -hmm. but it seems like more people are saying this is egregious. We have to change things. And I will not be silent until things change. Um that's my perspective. I've talked with other people that are older than me and have more, again, that more of that frame of reference from their own personal history. Mm -hmm. And they feel concerned that it is just an elongated moment. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because their, their narrative, their norm is that we have these moments of unrest and then people prefer peace over justice. Mm. And, and I don't think that peace can come without justice. Right. So it's more of just suppressed. Right. And then pops back up. So with that, 
being the case, what is different this time that makes it different? I think social media plays a part. I think or the fact availability that availability to instantaneously have it in front of you and see <laughs> and, share, and yeah, even right. the inability to hide it almost. Yeah. Um, I'll actually go ahead and say I have not watched. I do not watch the videos mm. because I feel like that would be traumatizing to me. Mm. And I have to make sure that I'm in a space in order to help others that have been traumatized. Mm. Um, but it is, it's readily available, right? We could Google it. Yeah. We could watch it over and over again. Right. And I think the fact that it's almost like before now, when everyone for the most part didn't own a smartphone, wasn't always on Instagram or other social medias, Facebook, um, that it could have felt previously like these single isolated events that were not that common. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is that, oh, these are really common. It's just that oftentimes maybe only the local community may have seen it on their news. Sure. Where now... Or no one saw it at all. Or no one saw it. Like, I have friends that are in Georgia... And they found out about the Breonna Taylor stuff. So it had happened in March. They didn't find out about it until May or, yeah, May or June. Mm. And so, but in that time, they were mourning um, Ahmad, right? And so yeah. they go from mourning one thing in their community that they don't even have, they don't even know about what's going on in other places of the country. And right. so not to say that that's wrong of them or anything, but we just have more availability and access to see that, okay, this is happening way more than we thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. There's just more c- ability to catch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, and it's almost like police evidence. brutality has increased or these infinite instances has increased. They've just probably it's just that there's more we're seeing it ability to see yeah. what's going on just like you know since the advent of social media um, people's uh, thoughts about what they eat is not any different but now I just know what it is because they share it yeah we share everything <laughs> people's so. opinions uh, about different things um, and I think that's the other haven't thing. changed about it I just yeah. am more acutely aware of what someone's opinion might be Absolutely. because of social media Absolutely. it's the same kind of principle right it's just oh. things are more readily available to be yeah. caught and seen okay so let's talk a little bit more about how uh, it might be different this time as far as mm-hmm. whenever I say different maybe I think we're talking about the same thing, but the response, Oops. reaction yes. or the response is different. I think it's great that we clarified that. And yeah, I right. think the response this time is different. Yeah. I don't have, I did not look this up, but my husband had mentioned he's been kind of doing some of his own kind of education. Sure. And he stated it seems like, um, not seems, he stated a fact, and I don't, again, I don't have the ability to go fact check him right now. Someone can if you're listening, but <laughs> yeah. um, that more have happened within the recent I don't actually know how long it's been it's been like what four weeks yeah four or five weeks since George Floyd's death that more has actually happened in civil rights specifically for black people 
within the last couple of weeks than it has in the last 50 years since the death of Martin Luther King. Hmm. And so I think that speaks volumes that if it is different, we can see the signs that it's different. So Mm -hmm. if we're talking about removing Confederate flags from places, if we're talking about removing monuments from places, now obviously those don't actually change the system, but they are signals that people are listening and hearing and caring and wanting to start Mm -hmm. to do action versus just staying with the status quo. It seems like there's a lot more, possibly, I don't know. I have heard someone say that this is the case. More okay. white people involved in the this time around, if we're yeah. going to be able to say it that way. Yeah. And uh, what are your thoughts about that? I think that's why I'm hopeful. So I think it would be, I think one of the problems in the past has been that unless you're a person of color, it's not your fight to fight. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, even in the conversations that you and I have had, I don't know if you leave on one, one side, one hand, I leave feeling encouraged and accelerated and excited. But on the exact same, on the other hand, I feel exhausted. Mm-hmm. This is exhausting work. Yeah. And so, um, and we've talked in the past where I've said, you know, I think that it's going to have to change will have to also come from the white population. I think because they're still the majority, if they're white, their voice is going to have to be there mm-hmm. or nothing will change. Right. And so to see more white people involved for marching to end racism, there are going to be times that the people that are marching are going to be tired and need to sit down and rest and sleep. And if we don't have other people to take their place, we're not going to go very far or we're not going to go the distance that we need to go. Right. And anything worth achieving takes work, right? Absolutely. We have our education and it was like, not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Just anything that we're, we're trying to work towards uh, is difficult. So (laughs) important to keep those things in mind, but um, I think this is a good time to bring up mm-hmm. the concept that I think I've hearing I've been hearing more this summer than I have ever before is the uh, racist versus anti-racist idea. Yeah. And so I've heard uh, and seen, I guess, on social media, people mm-hmm. saying like, "Well, you're either racist or you're anti-racist, so you can make a choice here." Like, mm-hmm. like we can peg somebody like racist <laughs> or anti-racist. Right. Like, uh, okay, so either you cheer for the Cubs or you don't. You know, like it's like that right. kind of a cut and dry right. uh, situation. And I guess tell me your thoughts on that before I give yeah. some ideas that I have. Yeah, so I'm going to be right there with you. This is probably the first time, if ever, I've heard of the term anti-racist. Okay. Okay, so... Thought I was woke, but like I'm waking up more <laughs> okay. and more, right? Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. There is at least one thing that I sh- wasn't supposed to know. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> so many things. And if you don't know any of it or yeah. one thing, you're like, well, I didn't know anything. Yeah. So, um, so on being anti-racist, the thought behind that and the person that I've been kind of following the most is a um, an author named Ibram 
Kendi. And he actually wrote a book called How to Be Anti-Racist. Um, so I've been following him a little bit and like kind of watching his talks and mm-hmm. the language. Um, and there's a few things that I really like that he picks out. And I say a few things, not that the rest is garbage. I say the few things. <laughs> that really resonate thi- with you. Yes. Okay. And the few things that I've heard gotcha. seem to often really resonate with me. Gotcha. Um, and that said, I'm still trying to figure out in my own language how to present that. Um, so one of the things that I think is important to talk about when we talk about being anti-racist is he works to change the language of rather than, so racism or a racist is a behavior or a thought or mm-hmm. um, a system that oppresses right. based on race. Um, it's not a human. Right. And so I think one of the things I always want to kind of make sure people hear me say if we talk about this is to be anti-racist does not equate being anti-white. Okay. So I think that's really important because I think when we talk, when, I, when I've had conversations with white people about being anti-racist, and I think we may have talked about this already or maybe before this idea of when we talk about race, it's difficult mm-hmm. because it's immediately personal. Right. And the reason it's immediately personal is because although race is not even like a biological thing, it's a societal thing that we created. Um, we all have a race. Exactly. And so it's really quick. It's easy to quickly become defensive. And so I always want to make sure. And so if you're a listener out there and if you've thought, you know, if you've heard that term anti-racist, please know that overall, Mm-hmm. Maybe there might be some sex or minor, like the minority that a few voices that might say, no, it is anti-white. It is mm-hmm. not. Right. It's equating. not meant to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so when I think about racist or anti-racist, in my office, we often, in therapy, we often talk about spectrums, scales. Right. And so if one end that's never ending to the far, you know, as far right as you can go, is anti-racist then the opposite as far left as you can go would be racist and so i think we move up on that scale but what i will say is um some people will say i don't like the language anti-racist but i am not a racist and so if it's a spectrum and a scale whichever one you feel more comfortable using those Mm -hmm. words um the goal would to be always be moving away from the racist side. And so if you are moving away from the racist side, it's not moving from racist, not racist. You're moving from racist, anti-racist. And so any step you move away from racism does mean you would be anti-racist. Now you may be, you know, two steps behind where I am. But again, as long as we're constantly ever growing and moving, then we're both being anti-racist. Gotcha. The way that I've conceptualized it in my brain to try to make it manageable, I guess, I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. the right way to say it, is that nobody is all one thing. I think this is kind of what you were saying too Mm -hmm. uh, in your way of saying it, but we have behaviors Mm-hmm. Um, that are going to um, 
you know, be either things that could be classified as racist or anti-racist, but we don't have um, the need to qualify someone as this or that. I don't think. Yeah. Um, and some people say, well, you can't be neutral either. Well, we just what talked do, about your, that there won't be, there there's, isn't there's a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's no choosing neutral, but you're making choices that are going to be mm-hmm. uh, inclusive or exclusive and right. um, now we racist, did, anti-racist. Yeah. And s- did you have something else? You finish and I'll go. <laughs> I was kind of about to shift Change? into oh. something that I, was I gonna thought talk. could contribute to that, but you go ahead. At some point, our behaviors might become a characteristic of who we are. So we kind of use the metaphor of alcoholism. Looking at the lens, because you know we're mental health people and we love our purple DSM, um, <laughs> if I drink a drink every day, that doesn't necessarily make me an alcoholic. Now, if I start to drink in excess, um, well, not even excess. Let's just say I start to drink daily. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't. That may or may not necessarily hurt me or impact me as much. But if I'm drinking to the point where I'm intoxicated every day, mm-hmm. even if I don't feel or think that it's impacting me personally, it might be impacting my relationship with my husband or my family um, because I'm not fully engaged. I'm not fully present with them. On the other side of that, it does actually impact me even if I don't want to necessarily believe that it does. Right. And then the other question though is if I'm drinking daily to the point of intoxication, um, at what point am I just someone who drinks and at what point am I an alcoholic? One point is you don't get to be the total judge of whether or not you're an alcoholic. That's fair. <laughs> like yeah. you have to look at the evidence around you. Right. So you could call yourself what you want, but it's like, well, let's let's explore the evidence. The evidence. Yeah. You know, kind of get into that reality therapy piece yeah. that we may use sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And then but to kind of even counter that though, mm-hmm. if we're looking at it through the lens of addiction as far as like changing, mm-hmm. I actually am not an alcoholic until I admit that I'm an alcoholic. Right. Whether that's what reality is. Yeah. And so that first kind of point of waking up and realizing, oh, I'm drinking too much. And maybe I don't want to use that language. Oh, my goodness, I'm an alcoholic. But maybe I need to use the language of I'm drinking too much. So maybe it's not the language of, oh, my gosh, I'm racist. But, oh, I've noticed I've been making some inappropriate jokes. Sure. So we can change the language if we need to, you know, I think that can be helpful, not as damning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, not as discouraging, like, Mm -hmm. well, I did a couple of these things, therefore I am this and I'm doomed to be racist. Canceled. I'm canceled. Along those lines, Mm -hmm. confession time. Okay. I took... um, Probably a year ago, I don't know. I don't know. I lose track of time, but it, it was well before we're in our current moment. It's well before COVID. <clears throat> it was before COVID, even. That's <laughs> true. I was uh, on. Um, what was oh, I uh, heard this podcast about a inherent bias test mm-hmm. that Harvard had put together. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, 
I'm going to take that because I want to be aware of myself. And you know what I'm going to say, but no one else does that's listening to this. So I'm just pretending like you don't know. Yeah. So I uh, went on and took this uh, inherent bias test, and I can even provide a link to that in the show notes. As this is a good time to say that uh, we will also provide some helpful material in the Mm -hmm. show notes as we go along. So if you're interested in learning more, uh, you can get a curated list from Jenny Linville. So I took this test. And you. And me, as honest as I could. And I was discouraged to learn that I scored that I was strongly biased Mm -hmm. against black people. Mm. And I uh, was... You know, I was like, didn't want that to be the result. I try Mm -hmm. not to be that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to live with that and really reflect Mm -hmm. and um, just try to be real honest with myself and identify my feelings whenever I was in positions where, you know, if I had to choose one way or the other, like, you know, which one is inherently inside of me. Maybe I hope this isn't letting myself off the hook, but here's what I have come to say about this. I have been raised in a certain area. Yeah. I have been raised in a certain society, yeah. television even, yeah. all this kind of thing. And my inherent way of looking at things does not de- mean that my behavior has to match. Absolutely. And so that's how I try to... Again, I don't think it's letting myself off the hook. It's just... I think it's helpful in a way to know that if I don't pay attention to these things, then I'm, I may be racist. I may do things that are discriminatory. I may, Mm -hmm. uh, just with the path of least resistance, uh, be someone who, um, does give disadvantage to Mm -hmm. someone that doesn't look like me. So a hundred percent agree. Absolutely. (laughs) I think that's everyone though. So I think it's humans are conditioned. Yeah. We're easily conditioned. That's like what we do. Right. Um, and our society with implicit bias conditions us. There have been the, the studies where they put small children into a playroom mm-hmm. with a black doll and a white doll. It's not just the white children that want the white doll. Even the black children in a society that does not encourage or uplift or acknowledge the beauty of blackness Mm -hmm. even that black child will choose the white doll and part of the podcast and i can even add this podcast reference uh, in the show notes as well Mm -hmm. it was a hidden brain episode Mm -hmm. which i just listened to again uh saturday Mm -hmm. and they did uh, these inherent bias tests with police officers mm-hmm. to explore how that, you know, may play out. And even police officers who were black mm-hmm. had bias yeah, because against black people. And I think, uh, you know, television shows has presented that um, culture as being a problem. And uh, so mm-hmm. we don't have to break all that down right now. But sure. all that to say, it's real. It exists and mm-hmm. definitely can make an impact unless yeah. we're aware of it and try to do something about it absolutely in my opinion yeah i think awareness real awareness calls us to action if i don't know my kid is hungry i'm not going to do anything sure but if i really know that my kid is hungry 
I'm going to do something to feed that kid. Or if it's not my kid, I might be like, hey, feed your kid. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I'm going to do something. Yeah. Okay. So I'm hearing you say, as we're starting to get to a point where we can close, to do something uh, is better to do nothing. Yeah. And doing something looks different in every stage. You mentioned when you were talking about the implicit bias test is that you started with self-reflection. Self-reflection is an action. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So you may not be posting about it. Very true. But I do want to always make sure we're giving um, encouragement to the actions that people are doing. If I have a client coming in my, in my office and you know their goal is to be able to sleep through the night, when they come back, if they haven't met their goal yet, I'm not like, well, this is over. You're hopeless. <laughs> but if there's anything, any strong point that we can build on, even if it's as well, I, I didn't sleep the whole time, but I did put my phone away 10 minutes earlier. Mm. I'm going to say, then we had progress. That's great. I just so happen to have a, a book of mm-hmm. poetry, and it's one, one thing that I read to my clients. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read it right now, and then I'm going to give you last word on okay. this. So it says, You are good when you walk to your goal firmly and with bold steps, yet you are not evil when you go thither limping. Even mm. those who limp go not backward. Yeah. So don't have to have it conquered. But just uh, limping, trying to make some level of progress and yeah. um, is good. And yeah, last word for you. I'm, I'm excited for the series. I'm excited that even if we are limping, that we gain more ground. I don't, I don't expect, again, for racism to be ended even in my generation. But tangible progress is amazing. Um, I'm looking forward to inspiring people to become an ally. If you are, you know, a white person becoming an ally to, um, fighting for justice. And if you are a black listener, um, growing in a space to, to know that if someone is your ally, that you're also there. So as we, I think the language I've been using is if we're both marching in a protest, that's we're both marching in a protest, then if I trip and fall, I would hope that you would help pick me back up to keep marching. And on the same side, if you trip and fall, I would want to make sure that either I or other people uh, stop to make sure that you got back up unharmed and didn't just, you know, soldier on and trample you to death well said thank you so much for joining me and uh, this conversation really appreciate it and uh, i'm glad that we have um, a friendship that allows us to have these Mm -hmm. difficult conversations i think that's a real important point Uh, we didn't say possibly but uh, the way to have these sort of conversations is to have a background of friendship absolutely not just be like oh you know all of a sudden i'm gonna (laughs) figure out who can yes. be my friend of the opposite race and then we can talk yeah. about it like be that's, hard. that's secondary right yeah. the first thing is like i've got trust with this person and then we can talk 
trust, I think, lends to empathy. Mm -hmm. And so I think relationships are important when having these conversations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This has been Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that poses the question, we all have mental health, how's yours? Mapping Healthy Minds is sponsored by Paducah Bank, and Paducah Bank is an award-winning, locally-owned bank with branches in six locations in Paducah and Louisville. Paducah Bank received a five-star rating from Buyer Financial, which is the nation's premier banking rating firm. In June, Paducah Bank was notified that it had earned the highest rating that Buyer Financial awards. The bank has earned this five-star rating for 44 consecutive quarters and is one of America's strongest banks. If you would like to be wowed from Paducah's premier banking institution, give them a call at 270-575-5700. For more information on Mapping Healthy Minds, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. More episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at mappinghealthyminds.com. This series of cross-cultural conversations is produced by Jenny Linville and me, Justin Lewis, who is also your host. So until next time, remember we all have mental health. How's yours?